Thank you. There we go. There's enough colds and things going around and croaky throats and that uh, we're just soldiering on. Freedom, and, and Adria started to touch on this this morning. I thought, where are you going? Freedom, freedom in Christ. I just, just want to start with saying I'm, I'm not trained in psychology or psychiatry or other than I've got a brief understanding through Kids Hope and a few years of experience in sales and dealing with people and dealing with family. and So what I'm going to delve into today is not based on what the world would see as trained fact, but it's based on stuff that I've experienced and grown through and, and others around me have grown through. So um, I'm going to say don't, don't take much of what I say, don't be offended by it, but be challenged, be challenged. And find a greater insight and greater steps into the word. I uh, know Ben spoke a couple of weeks ago about when he was at the school sports with, with our eldest boys, that he was always the guy who was you know, half a lap behind, running last. I said to him after that, I said, you brought back a memory for me that, that probably wasn't one of my better memories. I wasn't the one who was running last. I was the one that they had the special race for, for these kids that were slower at the school sports. And I thought, <laughs> I didn't need to be reminded of that. <laughs> but we grow through stuff. We grow through that. And I, uh, three years ago, I overcame some hurdles and some hills that, that probably stemmed out of that time. And uh, we were on a, on a journey with uh, two of my sons and a nephew who may as well be a son. And if you've ever driven the old road from Ballarat to Bendigo before they put the bypass in, you, you go up out of Harcourt North, there's a massive hill there. And we rode that. And for that whole journey, that was, that was about our third last step of that journey and that hill terrified me that I was going to break down. But I found a pace that we could go at. I had my right hand, my right wheel was, was here sitting in the middle. He was by me and we just plodded through and we got there to the point where you can achieve, you can get through things and you can move on to the point that as you go into Bendigo, there's another one they call Big Hill. And it's probably just as hard. And I, I stopped oh, about 20 metres short of the summit as I was on my own. And I looked back and these two clowns were 500 metres behind me. And I thought, I'll just stop and wait for them to catch up so we can cross this summit together. So, yeah. Anyway, that's, I didn't come to talk about that, but that's, that sort of fills you in a bit of background, a bit of stuff where I'm going. So thank you, Father. We thank you for that, that you encourage us, that you give us the strength, you help us to find the inner strength to keep moving on. Thank you, Father. Amen. So the conundrum I've found is that, that so many of us, when we make a decision to follow God, we give our lives to Jesus, 
and then we struggle. We struggle to experience effective change in our everyday lives. We come out to the front, we say prayers, we say I do, we say all that stuff that you know, we love you Jesus and, and, and we get baptised, we make a public statement but our everyday, our everyday coming and going, it stays as it was. We stay entombed in our old ways. We experience great pain when we try and break from our old vices and why? It's a big question. I'm sure a lot of us ask that question, why? Now, I found some clues. It's in a book written by Dutch Sheets. It was originally titled Roll Away Your Stone. And it started me to look at the internal relationship between the physical that we see, between the self, the mind, the psyche, and between the spiritual. And it's opened up a whole new world of understanding the inner battle and therefore how to experience change. To look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and, and, and any of the preachers who, who look at healing will use this passage. We've done, it's been referred to a couple of times in, uh, in, with Dion. Romans 12, 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but transform by renewing the mind. They're great words, but how do you transform your pattern of thinking? How can I break those old habits and stop thinking of the old ways that are contrary to how I want to think? We'll come back to this passage in a later on. I've got a couple of clues that will put some thoughts in perspective and, and have helped me to understand how I operate and maybe they'll help you. So we take a journey and look at how we're created and how we're designed according to scripture. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139.14 We are made in God's own likeness. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And we have a triune state. First Thessalonians 5.23 is one that states that. May your whole spirit, your soul and your body be kept blameless. There's three parts to us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made in the likeness of God. We're made of spirit, soul and body. Spirit, the Greek word for human spirit is pneuma. Pneuma is the base word of things pneumatic like tyres and balloons and full of air. It's the same word used for the Holy Spirit and the same word used for the breath of God. 
repeated throughout Scripture. It's simple to see the connection that God desires via the Spirit. God breathed the breath of life into us. The Spirit's purpose is to communicate with the spiritual, to communicate with God, and to put that information through to our soul for action or for storage. The soul, the Greek word for the soul is psyche, which basically means self. The psyche is our mind, it's our emotion, and it's our self-will. So the mind or our intellect gives us reasoning, it thinks, it forms logic processes and stores information, which is all good stuff, but without getting deep into the psychology, we need to remember that the information processed and stored is not always good. We store information from bad experiences that in turn can affect our logic and our reasoning. Our emotions give us our feelings. It gives us joy, gives us sadness, but it can also give us stress and anxiety. And our will is based on what's in our mind and emotions and that's where our decisions happen. It can be our will or it can be the will of our spirit or, our, or of God. The will determines our course of action, but it is our will influenced only by our mind or does our spirit have some say over our will? The essence of the soul is it's our central processing system. So we need to understand that it's not the part of us that God intended to communicate with. God communicates through spirit to spirit. The soul function, soul's function was not to control or lead us, but to serve our spirit by either the storage of information or by passing actions on to our body. Which the body, the body is just what we think it is. It's our physical flesh. It's what we are seen as by others in the physical and it's how we sense the world around us. So our body exists to contain the soul and the spirit. But the body exists to relate to the natural world. So either taking from the natural world experience or giving to it. So if our spirit's designed to have control over our soul and mind, then why do we have so much trouble acting the way God intends? Is it that we're not prepared to let stuff go? The stuff from the past? Or hand over some of us to the will of God? Has there been stuff in our past that we haven't dealt with? Now, the inability to complete that athletic course those things, the words that were spoken of us, the lack of encouragement we might have got as kids, the, you know, without getting into things like physical abuse, mental abuse. They're all things that serve to hinder us as we try and move into a new way of living. Before we give our lives to Christ, we are governed by our soul. We work the way the world, the world works. We live as the world works. So we're basically lost. But when we become Christians, there's a, we see the light, we're born again. Our spirit, we've accepted Jesus. 
we're now communicating with Holy Spirit. We are saved. We are new people. We're new creations. But our soul is still dragged back from this old world. It's entering into a battlefield with the spirit and the psyche. We're in a stage of converting. The body, well, the body's just still the body. So as we mature as Christians, we have a spirit that's growing in relationship with God. And through dealing with the issues of the past, the spirit should be taking its rightful place in leading the soul. How do we get from the second stage to the third stage? It's from the place where we're all gung-ho for Christ. When we first made our step, we're singing and dancing and evangelizing, but our soul is all confused. We're still immersed in the old self, the old ways, the old place of living. But our spirit with the Holy Spirit is trying to take control. Hence anxiety. So this change is not something in our strength that we can do. We can't change ourselves by ourselves. We need to come to the end of ourselves and give over each issue to God to handle. It's not just something we say, it's something we've got to come to the end of not being able to solve a problem ourselves and give it over. Have a look at Mark 10, 46. It's the story of blind Bartimaeus, and I'm sure we've all, we're all read it. But there's some, there's some very subtle points in here. So then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and they said, cheer up, get on your feet, he's calling you. So he threw aside his cloak, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. He probably ran. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. A couple of things that really stick out here. First one is what happened in Jericho? Nothing. Jericho, I, I imagine, is a fairly large place, but what happened there? Jesus and the disciples went there. There's nothing written. Nothing happened. Don't know why, don't know what, but nothing happened. Now, there was a large crowd. Were they expecting something to happen? Were they just along for the ride? Were they? You don't know, but it was a large crowd. And Bartimaeus cried out for Jesus for mercy many times. It says twice, but it says many times. And they, the crowd told him to keep quiet. Just, you know, we don't want to hear from you. You're just a blind beggar. We don't want to know about you. When he was called forward, Bartimaeus, and this is the point that really gets me, Bartimaeus threw everything away. He'd been sitting by the road. He had his... his 
all of his possessions with him probably. But before he was healed, he chucked it all aside. He said, that's it. No more of that. He left everything behind. The past was gone. And because of the large crowd, he wasn't going to be able to find it again. That was gone. He knew what he wanted, but he didn't know for sure that he was going to get it. But he knew what he wanted. So he was, he'd had enough of the old. And I think that says to me that when we come to the end of something that we don't want, we've got to just chuck it all aside. We can't keep hanging on to something because it's going to affect us again, infect us again. So he wasn't going back to a life of begging. He was going forward. So it says he followed on down the road. He didn't get his sight and then go back and sit there begging again. The last, ver- last passage says he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. I'm not going back there. That's over. Finished. So we need to come to the end of any of these programs. You know, there's, there's all sorts of programs that we can get that can say how you get it through stuff, 12-step programs. And we just need to hand stuff over and understand that in my own strength, in our own strength, it's not always possible to make change. We can come back to the cross. We can prostrate ourselves there, prostrate ourselves there, time and time again, and never move on. We're just stuck at that place until real change happens. So then we can move into a new life and the old dealt with. I was a smoker for many years. I became a non-smoker, not an ex-smoker, a non-smoker when I cried out. I couldn't do it on my own. Giving up wasn't easy. So I was thinking through this and I I wanted to smoke since I was a kid because there was good stuff surrounded in that time. So I grew up in a a small family unit. My uh, older siblings had had moved on by the time I was seven or eight. But the exciting time around home came a cheering time. The two weeks of the year where there was a lot of activity around, there was a lot of extra food around, and the shearers inevitably were smokers. So I'd get home from school and I'd belt off up the shearing shed and scrounge through the leftovers of of, uh, afternoon tea. And you could... I, I remember sifting through the tobacco tins for a sniff. I thought, that was really good. And I was probably about eight or nine. I thought, that was great. So I, I think it was inevitable. There was something associated with good. There was something associated with extra food. There was, all of those good, warm feelings were happening there. And this is in my psyche and myself. But I remember the time... I think Lyndon was actually with me. We were sitting outside a hotel in New Delhi. And I remember, I can't do this. I can't give up on my own. God, you've got to do it for me. And I just haven't looked back. See, God wants to help us with our issues. We've just got to get to a point and say, I can't do it. It's not mine to do. And he desires to take control of our problems. We've just got to get out of the way. 
And in doing that, we'll allow a little more control in our lives to be directed by our spirit, in turn through the Holy Spirit. So this saying becomes less of me and more of you has real significance. We can become religious rule keepers with a set of codes to live by. But I don't believe that's what God wants us to do. We're not going to experience freedom in being like that. To truly live in freedom that God wants for us, we need to allow more of his spirit to influence our spirit and then in turn our soul, our self, to give, to allow the spirit to rule. We need to get out of the way, our self aside, and allow the spirit to take control. When we can truly do that, then we live as God wants without living by rules. We'll flip to Galatians 4 and 5. and it's In chapter 4, Paul talks about enslavement. A letter to the people of Galatia where they were setting all these standards up to live by. They were, they were drifting back into this old way of life, they were drifting back into this Old Testament stuff. And in chapter, between chapter 4 and 5, the theme changes to living in freedom. Chapter 4, verses 8 and 10. I won't do the whole lot. There's a fair bit in it. But in the New King James, it says, But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or you rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements which you desire again to be in bondage? So they'd found Christ, they'd found freedom and then they returned to the old ways and lost it and went back into slavery. Chapter 5 verse 1 It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. So the old ways, the old rules is enslavement. The don't do this, the do that, eat this, don't eat that. It's enslavement. Verses 16 and 18. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not be gratifying the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are at conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want to do but if you are led by the Spirit you're not under the law. So if we allow ourselves to be dragged back into our old way of doing things, but we find a new way of doing things and we create new rules, we're no better off than we were before. Verses 19 onwards I'll switch across to message version it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time repetitive loveless cheap sex 
a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalising everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. I read through that and I think, okay, there's some things there that I probably can relate to. There's some that I could just cross out, and there's others you think, oh, is that me? As Paul continues, this isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. It's a warning, don't live that way. We've got to break these habits. But what happens when you live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessity is killed off for good. It's crucified. I'll read that again. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It won't bring freedom. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting your own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessity is killed off. For good, it is crucified. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail in our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We've got far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is original. I'm going to finish up early. That's all right. But I'm going to go back to Romans 12, 2, 1 and 2. I'm going to look at that in a bit better depth. I mean, we look at this passage in light with how our spirit needs to respond, how our psyche, how our self needs to get out of the way. And I'm going to read out a message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, so we're not doing it on our own, take our everyday ordinary life, our sleeping, our eating, our going to work, going to school, our walking around life, 
and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you. Sorry, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become well-adjusted to your culture and fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognise what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So we place our lives before God and change happens. We stop conforming to the ways of the world and change happens. We allow God into our lives and change happens. We can't make change happen without God's input. God makes change happen. Go and make God change your lives. And if you want to pray about stuff, if you want to go through anything, come and sit and we'll talk about it. But Laurie, we could have some music, please. Grab a, grab a coffee, have a great day, have a great week and be changed. Let God be part of it.